Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 20. Um, Today, I'm going to be coming out of uh, Romans 12 and 13. Hopefully, if time permits, we'll make our way into Colossians. Um, And if this is your first time uh, tuning in, I I appreciate you. welcome you here. Hope the Lord speaks to you through this. Uh, for those who have continued with me on this journey, I appreciate you coming along and staying with me. Um, if this is return visits for you, you may have noticed the uh, the change in intro music. Um, just wanted to mix it up a little bit. Um, and um, since this is the first introduction into um, this, this new music, um, for those interested, this was... Um, Someone I used to go to church with uh, named Logan Cole um, uh, created for me this song. And so I've uh, kind of pieced parts of it together here for this intro and and outro. So um, thankful for that. Thankful for his uh, skill and uh, gifting and ability and how the Lord would minister through him. So um, again, like I said, uh, thanks for tuning in um, all across the many continents and countries uh, throughout the world um, we can come together in one place um, with that uh, that the Lord can minister through these different media mechanisms so uh, thank you so again I said uh, we will be coming out of Romans 12 um, I do want to just read a little intro into Romans um, this is a book written by Paul um, Naturally, based on the title, uh, the audience was the, the Roman people uh, that he, for some time, wanted to visit. Um, Romans is the longest um, and a very uh, one of the most systematic uh, reasonings of Paul's letters. Um, he discusses in the beginning part, in verse uh, chapter 1, 16 and 17, he, he announces the theme of it which is the, the gospel is God's power for salvation. Um, it shows us that the righteousness of God is through faith for all who believe. Paul also explains the need for justification through faith because of sin. We find that in the uh, chapter 1, verse 16, all the way through chapter 4, verse 25. He then later spells out the results of justification by faith in terms of both a present experience and a future hope. This is found through chapters 5 through 8. And just to land on that for a second, um, I believe it is an immensely important thing to consider that this is a twofold um, reality. A twofold result of justification is a present experience and a future hope. So many times, we as a people, we hone in on one particular asset, asset or um, one particular aspect, rather, 
of the reality of what we have in Christ. And we either sometimes cling so much to this present experience or the present reality that we have in Christ, or sometimes we just completely disregard the present um, availability and only cling to, only speak of um, this future hope that we have. Now, granted, we don't disregard or diminish this future hope, not at all, because eternity is eternal. Um, this future hope, this, um, this the writer of Psalms, um, even we see Proverbs with Solomon, David, uh, some of the other... It, it's clear that this present life is but just a whisper of time. It's a whisper, a fainting drop in the bucket of time compared to eternity. Um, this body of ours, it's, it's um, flesh, the, the, um, the body of, of clay that we inhabit is... Is a um, is a whisper of a piece of time called eternity. So um, we by no means diminish the importance of uh, future hope. And I myself have been guilty of this as I am um, as I am now beginning to to appreciate the the um, reality of the future and eternity. Um, by comparison in, in time, it's, it's significant. Um, so not only do we express the importance of our present experience, because there is so much available inside of our present experience, um, you, could, you could say in some regard that, that our time here in these bodies on earth, alive in the day that we live, is a is almost a, a warm-up for, for some of what is available in eternity. Um, now, obviously, by strict comparison, there is no comparison. But I believe that the, the idea, the paradigm of we can practice today a sample of what is for tomorrow and tomorrow in the sense of eternity. Um, a presentness is available with the Lord that we can practice today, enjoying His presence, enjoying fellowship with God, um, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. We can enjoy these realities and access them today in our time. And I will. I'll ask you this question, and it's a it's a very targeted and, and somewhat blunt. But if we do not um, enjoy or uh, find a thriving life source from spending time or fellowshipping with God and with the Holy Spirit, if we don't find that or experience it today in this day we live. What makes us think that an eternity of that is something that we would even desire? So I would challenge you to, to kind of see in yourself 
Is this something that you live for? Is it something that motivates you and drives you to experience God in this day, currently, living in bodies? Is it something you strive for and desire? And if you find that your desire is lacking in that arena, well, simply um, seek the Lord to transform your heart so that your desire would be lifted up so that you can find him in intimacy that he's made himself available for you today. Um, there are times absolutely throughout our lives that we find our desire can be lacking, but we do have promises throughout um, the Bible and through what God has spoken through the Son, Jesus, we have promises of if you seek, you will find. And anything that you ask, it shall be given to you. We can know without question that if we seek a heart, um, seek Him as the primary desire of our heart, that He will grant to us that desire. Now, it may not be this instantaneous um, gift that right as we ask it, um, that it would be given. It may be a process of seeking and receiving and building and growing. So um, don't be discouraged um, if you 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 know you find yourself oh, I don't I don't desire to fellowship with God or I don't desire intimacy with God, don't be discouraged if you ask that if you pray for that and the next day you wake up and you don't feel any different. Don't be discouraged by that, but press press in and endure. Um, continue asking, just like the the um, was it the widow who asked um, for bread to feed her friend who um, he wouldn't get up to, to give him. But because of the widow's persistence, he granted her the request. So I believe that it's, it's something very relevant to uh, even intimacy and desire is we continue to ask the Lord grant us um, increased measures of desire and hunger, and he will be faithful every time to do such. So a little sidebar um, there. So as in chapters 5 through 8, Paul is expressing these results of justification both in our present experience and in our future hope. Then he continues on in the next few chapters. He expresses his sorrow that many of his fellow Israelites have not embraced the gospel. And he wrestles with this theologically over the implications of what that means. This is chapters 9 through 11. Um, this is something that we definitely, as a people, uh, an, in American culture, uh, an American society, especially from the religious side, um, this is something many people grapple with in our day. Um, Paul says that he, he would rather himself be cut off from God, accursed, 
cut off, separated from God, so that his fellow Israelites can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That is a huge statement. It's really easy for us to brush right past that. But he says, I would rather be eternally cut off from God to know that my fellow Israelites come into a saving knowledge of Jesus. In American society today, how many of us can say that of those who know, or rather, of those who do not know Jesus? Could we say that I would, I would rather be cut off from the Lord as though to sacrifice myself for that those who would not know Christ to come to know him? Man, do we ever, in any day that has been throughout time, do we ever today need a spirit of sacrifice that those who do not know Christ would come to know him and that we would be willing, if it, if it was required, to sacrifice ourselves to, to encourage and facilitate that knowing um, of Jesus. That is a deeply difficult statement to make, not one, one that many or probably most could, of us could even make, but I would challenge us, that is, this is the Spirit of God at work in Paul to drive him into this, it, it maintained for him this heart of love. You know, the Bible tells us that the, you know, the love of many or most would grow cold in the latter days. And we see that at work, even in the church, um, this, a, a heart that, that is growing cold in regards to love. And, and Paul is saying, I would lay my own eternity down so that those who do not know Christ would come to know him. I pray that, that you wrestle with that reality. Um, that we would each assess our hearts to discover what measure of love or the lack of that exists in each of our hearts and minds. So he's wrestling, he's grappling with the implications of his fellow Israelites not embracing the good news. He ultimately concludes by describing how the gospel should affect every um, should affect one's everyday life. We find this through chapters twelve through sixteen. Um, it's said that that Paul has written this letter to Rome in a roughly around AD fifty seven. So this is still um, you know quite a number of years. Uh, 13 years about um, before the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and the temple in AD 70. So it's always good to keep a kind of a, a chronological frame of reference for, for writings um, in throughout the Bible. So this is kind of where I'm wanting to land um, here in this last section where how does the gospel affect 
one's everyday life. And that is in chapters 12 through 16. So um, where we will spend, I'm going to read chapters uh, 12 and hopefully 13. So uh, let me just pull this up. Um, As you turn in it, you can follow along um, or just listen. Um, It's important either way. So Paul, as he starts in chapter 12, um, he is speaking of living sacrifices. Um, This is new life that we have in Christ and how it affects our everyday life. So he says in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment. um, Clear. Think of yourself rightly. Is it in a sense what he is saying here? Don't think more highly of yourself than you should Think of yourself rightly. Now, this isn't for him. This isn't him saying you should think of yourself as a dirty, rotten dog. Um, this is to say, see and think of yourself in right light. So, I pray that each of us are able to identify ourselves. What is what is housed in us rightly. He says, to think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This is an important part because Paul is, is painting us a practical picture. So he says, for as in one body, we're talking about just in our body, we have many members. We have fingers, toes, feet, ears, nose, eyes. We have many members, parts of the body. But those parts do not all have the same function. If we did, we'd be in quite a mess. We would be able to see, but not hear. We would be able to taste, but not touch. So you see, there's, there is a necessity of, of unique function within just our physical body. But we have one body. The whole or totality of you is comprised of many parts that have a function that creates right function in you as a person. 
And Paul links that and says, so we, now he's transitioning to the body of Christ and he compares us to a physical body, but as it relates to the spiritual condition or the, or the spiritual dimension. So we, though, are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So he's saying in the body, in Christ, we are individuals with unique function and purpose, but we are functioning together as one in Christ and dependent of one another. Having gifts, verse 6, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. It's a gift. And he says, let us use them according to the gifts that we have been given. If it's prophecy, use it in proportion to our faith. If it's service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the English Standard Version, but I think other translations um, produce a little bit of clarity in this, um, especially in this particular passage. So let me uh, transition to that um, I think it can shed a little additional light. So uh, verse 6, in his grace, this is the New Living Translation, uh, can be a little more plain language for us uh, in our day. So in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This is so important for the day that we live. A lot of times in the body of Christ, and we see this played out in in churches uh, throughout America. Um, I'm not sure what the relevance of this is necessarily in other countries, but in the church in America, uh, we often tend to try to make copies of one another. Sometimes we strive to be like someone else uh, because we we maybe value their giftings and so we want to be like them and so we try to duplicate them. We we see this in leadership too that you know sometimes with leaders they want to to, to duplicate 
And so we lose the unique um, aspects that each person brings to the table. Sometimes we as individuals don't recognize the gifts that God has put in us because they come so inherently easy to us. We don't think of them as a gift. We think of them as just something that we do, especially in, you know, with hospitality and generosity. It's, it's just, it seems sometimes it's just who we are. It doesn't feel like a gift, but not everyone has that unique ability to be, um, in, you know, super hospitable. And, um, but just like Paul mentioned in all of these different gifts, Use your gift to the fullness and do it with excellence. Do it to the, to the end of your ability. And as we, the body of Christ, come together, functioning in all of our unique giftings, we come alongside of each other in, in the work that God has established for us. We come alongside one another and build each other up. And where I'm strong in one area, you may be weak. And so I can help you. When you're strong in an area that I may be weak, you help me. And it's not just we're scratching each other's back. We're actually, it's not, it's not meant for us to be expressing our gifts just inward, or like inwardly within the church. This is expressions for the church and the world. The Bible says that that they, the world, will know that, that God sent Jesus by our love one for another. So it's not that the church is to just be completely separate from the world in the sense that there is a wall between us and the world. No, the, the world, those who have not been redeemed unto Jesus, must see the church, the people, the, the individual members. They must see the members functioning in right function, not in dysfunction, as we see so many times. I've I've heard this said and and I truly appreciate what it adds to the conversation but I've heard it said that you know people have experiences where they are by they're hurt by the church they have um these really scarring moments and so many times people will step away from the you know the church and not set foot back or um or they'll say things like you know that well you know I don't really do church um I was you know the church hurt me and just to clarify, um, dysfunctional people hurt you. The church is called to be so much more, but oftentimes we let our we let our flesh operate when we should be denying it and putting it to death. Um, and so we're allowing we're allowing ourselves to um, to inflict damage on people, and as a result of that, it's causing people to in, 
in untold numbers say, no, I don't, I don't want what you have because um, I get enough of, of this damage um, in my everyday life. And so we're hurting people, and in the process, we are losing our testimony. Um, so we'll continue in verse 9. Um, I'll just keep reading out of this New Living Translation. Um, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. What would it look like in our day if we took this seriously? Let's just say here that Paul is speaking um, to Christians. And let's say it didn't extend um, necessarily beyond the church. But for the sake of argument, if he was just speaking only to the church, what would it look like if we took his words seriously and took delight in honoring one another? How transformed would it be if we honored one another instead of what we do currently? Hmm. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This is, this is a, a, a directive that Paul is giving. This isn't just to people who are hospitable. This is a direct, a direct command. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This comes naturally to some easier than it does others. But so often we are um, directed to operate outside of comfort zones. And this can be the case, too, for those who aren't... Um, naturally so hospitable but it is a directive that we are given and it's biblical 14 bless those who persecute you don't curse them pray that god will bless them boy do we need to hear that with so much political polarization and that is um that's really just a fancy word for um, this side versus this side. You know, it's when you um, when you take a magnet and you try to touch um, the same sides together. There's a repulsion when you um, you know the whole opposites attract thing. Um, when it's it's really the same here. Um, With the landscape that we find ourselves in, this polarization, this repulsing of sides, this side versus this, left versus right, um, 
this belief versus this belief, there is such a separation and then there is such an animosity between the two sides. And we're not called to to spout out, um, Paul uses the word curse them. This isn't just using like cursing language, but, but speaking ill of, declaring things to be true about people that is 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 our is no place of ours to declare don't curse them pray that god will bless them can we say that we do this can we say that that those people who we completely completely disagree with and not even disagree with in terms of our brothers and sisters in Christ, but those who are per, are actually perpetrating persecution, can we say that we actually pray that God will bless them? I pray that our eyes be open to the level of of harm that we are spouting out of our mouths to one another, both in the church and the world. Pray that God bless them. Do not speak curses upon them. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. We have we are so competitive with one another that it is difficult for us to be happy for a person who is experiencing success, who's experiencing breakthrough through maybe experiencing healing. You haven't got healing yet and it's and you struggle, you wrestle with with ex, with expressing that joy for them. That person who um, is able to buy a new car, you know, are you muttering to yourself, you know, how are they, how do they afford it? Um, Oh, well, you know, they've got a, now they've got a a payment or, um, you know, just the list goes on and on. We're, we're such a, um, we're such a divisive uh, flesh and the Bible is calling us to be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Sometimes when people experience tragedy and loss and hard times, sometimes it's not about the the thing that you have to say to snap them out of it. Sometimes it is, there are times when God gives us those profound things to say, but more times than not, it's, it's about just weep with those who weep. Experience empathy and be genuine live in harmony with each other don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all who Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Let me repeat that. 
never pay back evil with more evil. The landscape that we are in in our day. We have never had more participators of in, even inside the church. We have never had more justification for wrong action than we have in the day that we live. People at an all-time high inside the church, not, not even talking about the world, but those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, we have never had more of those people who justify wrong anti-biblical doings than ever before. It's, it's at an all-time high. We are justifying wrong behavior, behavior that is anti-biblical, and we're doing it in the name of, well, they are acting evilly, so I am going to do X, Y, Z. And this is a and this is in Romans saying never never return evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Verse 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I think uh, ESV says um, as far as um, as far as you can um, ensure. Do all that you can live, that you can to live in peace. Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Um, that's, a, that's actually a reference. It's Deuteronomy 32, 35, if you wanted to look where that's from. Instead, verse 20, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. That's out of Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Just take a moment to assess your heart as you as you hear that, as you hear that that commandment that's given through the Bible. Are we feeding our enemies? Are we giving them drink? Because by doing that, they will see that we belong to God. Do they see that we belong to God when we are when we are up in arms and angry about being heard and valued and our value system is appreciated by them? Does that demonstrate that we belong to God, that we are children of the kingdom of Christ? That is what the world itself does. How does that differentiate us from the world? Paul says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. 
If they are thirsty, give them drink. They will see that we belong to God by the love that we have one for another. So I think here I will end. I've ran out of time very quickly. Um, I believe my next episode will start up from Romans chapter 13. I think this is a very important passage that is applicable to our day that we need to remember. Uh, it's not a very popular topic, and I'm sure there will be pushback um, on this, especially, especially in light of um, our American society, uh, this culture that we have here. Uh, so, um, But we will save that for next time. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. I hope that it speaks to you. I pray that the Spirit of God would make these words living, that they would penetrate um, into flesh between bone and marrow, that they would do the work in the heart and mind that only the Spirit of God can do. I pray that the, the anointing through that would flow. I pray that you would um, visit this many times that you would just let the words of um, God's word permeate everything that you are. I pray that you would relinquish control of your life. That you would that you would give your um, that you would give the leadership of your whole life to to Jesus, and that you would step into the kingdom of God. That you would lay hold to faith in Christ, believing that he died, that he rose again, and that he offers eternal life and fellowship to be experienced in our day and in our future hope of eternity with him. I pray this blesses you, encourages you, and gives you fresh lenses from which to see. Until next time. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you. And in your house, I hold.